Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our organizational partners, Podchaser, Critical Frequency, Audioboom, and Listen Notes. These are all companies you should look into if you're interested in great content and podcast discovery. They support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, my name is Isa Moncada. I'm the leader of the Milwaukee chapter. In the post-truth war, science seems to be under siege. As a scientist myself, I can see part of the problem is due to a perception from the public that only PhDs at universities can do science. My purpose with this playlist is to break that perception and show you examples of regular citizens from all backgrounds making an impact in environmental conservation, health sciences, astronomy, biology, and art. All you need to become a citizen science yourself is curiosity and a desire to make a difference. Enjoy! Hey everyone, I'm Adela, the founder of Podcast Brunch Club. And I'm Sarah, the founder of Audible Feast and the leader of the Houston chapter of Podcast Brunch Club. It was so great to hear from Caesar, and you can find the podcast playlist on Citizen Science at podcastbrunchclub.com slash citizen science. So, Sarah, I really enjoyed this month's playlist. And to be honest, when Caesar first told me about the theme, I wasn't really quite sure what it was all about. But um, as I listened, I got more into it and I liked it. What did you think? I had a lot of strong opinions about it. <laughs> so, okay. I think, I mean, I liked it a lot because I think it was excellent to hear all of these different sides of citizen science as a concept. I think most of the episodes were very pro citizen science. And um, I think I'm personally interested in finding some more counter mm -hmm. argument material. Mm -hmm. I am a science person by education. And I, all of these things were running through my mind at the time as I was listening to the different episodes. And I think Caesar did an excellent job of picking out the episodes that kind of complemented each other. So it wasn't just the same thing over and over. Each one, you know, tackled a little bit different issue each time. So I really liked that. I thought it was a great amalgamation of a playlist. But you felt like it was there wasn't a lot of conversation. And I I, I hear you. A lot not a lot of conversation about kind of like the perils of what this might you know, turn into or what it could, the harm it could do. Yeah. I mean, this is my education is in science. I'm an engineer and I don't think that you have to have an education to do science or to collect data or to even learn how to manipulate data. But I think there are certain standards that come along with scientific education background mm -hmm. that make me feel more comfortable about the results or the outcomes or whatever mm -hmm. I'm putting out there into the world that I feel confident that, oh, I followed this statistical methods or, right. you know, I even just as something as simple as just following this scientific method, setting up a hypothesis. I don't know. It makes me nervous to have 
like my neighbor or something, potentially writing a paper about something that they may have a very skewed or biased or one-sided education on because of how they were educated by being self-educated. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage of publishing in a peer-reviewed journal, right? So Mm -hmm, I work at Northwestern at the university. I work in the med school and, you know, it's all about publishing in a peer-reviewed journal because if peers that are also scientists or researchers are reviewing your data and your collection methods, then there's some sort of consensus, I guess, on on the quality, right? The quality of the data. But Mm -hmm. similarly, a lot of people might set a hypothesis and then find that it's not true. And then because it's not true, not publish. And so the information doesn't get out. Or maybe they just aren't terrible writers and it just doesn't get out. And so there's this information black hole sometimes, even with peer-reviewed published data of the null hypothesis or whatever they call it, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen, it doesn't get published. And then you have the next researcher in the town over doing the same exact research method because they didn't know it had already been done and proven false, so wasting time and effort. And I think that the proponents of citizen science would say that no matter what people in, whether you're a citizen scientist or whether you're an academic scientist, you're you're capable of not publishing those results. So, Mm -hmm. or, you know, that there's manipulation that potentially happens no matter what. So what makes, uh, because you're affiliated with some university or some institution, what makes that more legitimate as far as what you're publishing than if you're just a, a citizen? I mean, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know. I, I don't remember them talking too much about publishing necessarily in peer reviewed journals. I think there was a little bit of a conversation about mm-hmm. a, a person who started a journal for citizen science. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how rigorous the peer review process is. But, you know, right. I, I work at a med school and up until recently, the the numbers and I may have already said this on this podcast, I apologize if I'm I'm repeating myself, but the numbers are something like 17 years from bench to bedside, which means from mm. the time that somebody like does the hypothesis, do- gathers the initial pilot data, and then to the point where it's actually implemented at the hospital or in the clinic or in whatever right. the application setting is, is 17 years. That's insane. Yeah. And so there are institutions out there. There's one called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, and they're all about creating these academic community partnerships and academic patient partnerships because what often happens is that, you know, an academic researcher is sitting in their ivory tower hypothesizing on what a diabetes patient may want for their life. Mm-hmm. But the diabetes patient might be sitting in their house wishing for something completely different. You know, mm-hmm. like they might, you know, their academic researcher might just make this assumption that. I need to extend the life of diabetes patients and the diabetes patients might say, well, screw that. I don't want a longer life It's good if it's going to be a crappy life. Like I want right. a better quality of life. So focus on interventions that are going to give me a better quality of life. And so there's that disconnect between what the patient wants. Because like a lot of times, um, especially in medical research, the researchers have, other than being a researcher and maybe having, having patients with the condition, they don't have the p- condition themselves. Yep. So they don't have the patient perspective. And so this institute is trying to bring together. It's sort of like this, I would almost say like a citizen science, academic science merger, maybe middle ground. Mm -hmm. 
and really kind of no duh concept, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you think maybe patients should be and it's not just getting their perspective, right? It's not it's not just about like, oh, well, what do you want? Oh, I want a better quality of life. Okay, I'll go back to my ivory tower and do that research and try and come back to you in a few years or 17 years and give you an intervention that works for you. It's it's really about integrating them into the whole academic research process. And I shouldn't even say academic, but like they create these um, boards. They The people themselves are involved in the analysis. They're taught how to collect data. They do a lot of patient recruitment. Mm, they do a mm-hmm. lot of dissemination because again, you know, the academic researcher is so focused on their peer-reviewed journal, but like the patients might be part of patient advocacy groups or whatever and could do a better job of disseminating the findings of the research. Yeah, I would love for that to become the standard, you know, that there has to be some social, cultural impact studied, that it's not just, you know, okay, I need to finish my study and because this is what my grant is for. And, you know, it would be wonderful if that becomes the standard that there is this like community impact examined as well. Yeah, for sure. I And I think like what you're talking about, I I, I would be totally on board with that. And I think that that episode from Think Sustainability mm-hmm. was the one that made me kind of <laughs> open my mind a little bit more <laughs> because okay. I thought he, they were talking about how the uh, John Turnbull was talking about how there just aren't enough hours in the day. There's not enough people doing this research. So we do need to tap into the additional people and for also for the reason that you're talking about for the like sanity check. It doesn't need to be just what look what something adds up to on a piece of paper or in a spreadsheet or whatever. It's what the actual <laughs> true application of the data means in the real world and employing citizens to help with that if they're given a rigorous data collection model or method, as long as people are not just going out and doing whatever they want, then I can see totally the value of it. But the first couple episodes I think that I listened to, I felt like it was much more, well, this was a problem for me personally, so I decided to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that makes me nervous that, you know, you're not thinking about the bigger picture or, you know, when you have one single goal in mind, I think you ignore outliers. You ignore, you know, things that are on the edges, but possibly should be considered. You know, if they're not, I I just makes me worry about being too tunnel visioned. Mm -hmm. If you're just going after something that you care about for a very personal reason, I don't Mm -hmm. feel that that's where most science should necessarily be driven from. I don't know. Maybe that's a controversial yeah. thing to say. But. No, I mean, I see your point, but I also see the point of the person who's suffering from some mm-hmm. issue and like doesn't see anybody really focusing on right. it and wanting to yep. do something about it because they don't see an end in sight. So like, let me ask you, how did you feel about the prognosis episode where they talked about hacking the glucose meter and the the device for diabetes? It's the one where... Somebody found a sort of backdoor into a Medtronic device, mm-hmm. right? Medtronic mm-hmm. is a big medical device company. Yep. And they were talking about how complicated it is to 
manage diabetes. You know, it was a mom talking about her daughter having diabetes and having to wake up every few hours at night to check the the glucose meter and potentially having to wake her up to give her insulin or mm-hmm. whatever. And somebody found a backdoor into the device itself and they hacked it so that they could I didn't quite understand the whole system that they had developed, mm-hmm. but they hooked it up to connect it to something else and then it, you know, fed the data into some other device that may have been built or had already been built and they hacked that too. And then it would automatically give them a dosage or whatever. Somehow they didn't have to worry about it in the right. same way. And it changed their life. Right. And then they started publishing it online and then other people started doing it. And this like people were helping each other. And she this this mother started helping other people hack their devices Mm -hmm. so that it worked better. How do you feel about that? I guess I would hope that the, you know, Medtronic would notice that that is going on and they would use that to make their device better, Mm -hmm. you know, use that for good. It makes me nervous. <laughs> Again, I'm so like uh, conservative, I guess, about science, but it makes me nervous that people mess with the way something was designed. How do you know that you're not impacting something else in the design of the device? I don't know. That that makes me nervous. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing for humans, right? People are messing with the way we were designed with yeah. all the CRISPR and the DNA, yeah. gene editing, all this stuff. and. Yep. They're messing with the way we're designed. And maybe they're making right. that individual better or that baby better. Yeah. But I always wonder, like, what are the larger impacts like on the human genome and like evolution? And like, I'm not talking about even 100 years from now. I'm talking about like, how mm-hmm, are we impacting mm-hmm. the really long picture of human evolution? Yeah. I will say that it's funny with the, a couple of the playlists that we've had in the last few months and with this one in particular, I feel like since I started listening to episodes about a particular topic like artificial intelligence, I feel like I see episodes all the time on, on my normal like subscription feed. Not mm-hmm. that I necessarily subscribe to any more artificial intelligence related yeah. podcasts. It just seems to be like I see it everywhere. Like for me, when I was pregnant, I saw pregnant people everywhere. Yeah. So I. I'm noticing a lot of podcasts about topics that we've talked about. And I hope that I see more on this citizen science concept because it's something I didn't know a lot about. I guess I, you know, had probably heard of a few snippets here and there of stories of people forging a path forward to help themselves. That's probably what I heard about more than anything, mm-hmm. you know, to to help solve something that doctors couldn't solve for them, something medical usually. But Uh, I didn't really know how big it's become, and I really want to hear more about this particular topic. So I'm thrilled that we had this as as a playlist this month. As usual, we always talk about what other podcasts we've been listening to in addition to the Podcast Brunch Club playlist picks. So, Adela, one I know you've been listening to is Seen on Radio. What do you think about it? Yeah, per your many, many times suggestions, I yes. kept meaning to put it on my playlist and I finally got an on there. <laughs> and Good I, job. Yeah, I, uh, I went in and got all of, they, they did that series on men. Mm-hmm. And I 
you know, listen to them all. I had to space them out because it was just a little bit too real <laughs> sometimes and yeah. too depressing sometimes to listen to, you know, back to back because I think there was something like 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was amazing. It was so good and really gave me a lot of food for thought in terms of what gender is. And, you know, I think what it really opened my eyes to also was how conditioned men are. So, mm-hmm. you know, by society and history and how hard it is actually on them sometimes, too, because, you know, I'm a woman and I, I, you know, it's I, it's easy for me to see it from my perspective. But I think there were a couple of episodes and that gave me a, a little bit of a glimpse into actually it's kind of it must be kind of hard to be a man, too. Probably not quite as hard as being a woman, but we're not we're not competing. Yeah. Not a competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I agree. I mean, it's made me it that particular series made me think a lot about my kids. I have two boys, mm-hmm. and made me think about what do I want for them, and what are the messages that they're getting outside of what my husband and I are teaching them, and what messages are we teaching them that we are not even realizing. It led to a lot of introspection for me, and there were several times that I remember just like like when when a podcast like really gets to me I like yell out loud so (laughs) and usually um I'm in my cubicle or in my car or something and so everyone around me is probably like yeah uh what are you doing (laughs) Uh, they know by now that I'm listening to a podcast but um (laughs) but I I'll say like yes that's Yes. And then I'll run over to someone and say, you got to listen to this. And then, <laughs> you know, as we podcast listeners know, you get that sort of like glaze over look. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's why we have Podcast Brunch Club. Yeah. So, um, but there were several episodes in that men series that really um, made me think a lot. And I really appreciate in both this men uh, miniseries and the Seeing White miniseries that Seen on Radio did in 2016 or mm-hmm. no, 2017, um, which was about race and the origin of race and why we why we call people black, why we call people white, hmm. the origin of black being bad and white being good, et cetera, stuff like that. I really enjoyed the historical stuff i enjoyed the historical perspective of you know from way back in time and when we started communicating with each other how did things become the way they are and how much of that is still ingrained in how we talk to each other how what our expectations are so i loved both of the series and uh, seen on radios just replaying that scene seeing white series right now they just are rebroadcasting it. So it should be in your in your feed if you oh, want to look at that scene on radio. Yeah, because I was going to have to go back and download all the episodes, but now I'm subscribed, so it'll just show up. I think they're re rebroadcasting. I think I saw a tweet about that. So you know, I think people that enjoyed one probably would enjoy the other. And you know, it's I didn't think neither of the two series were about. They were. It's not like oh you're doing something awful mm-hmm. and men are terrible or whatever. No, it's just like history. And this is some explanations. They interview all kinds of professors, super, super intelligent people that have done so much research on language and cultural uh, 
changes over time. It's just really, really interesting. And um, yeah, so highly, highly recommend those two series from CNN Radio. Yeah. And, you know, I had a little bit of a crossover event in my life because I, as I mentioned, worked for work for Northwestern University and I work within the Institute for Public Health and Medicine. And I saw through my work that some new guidelines have been put in place by the APA on how they counsel men and boys. Mm. And it just came out recently. Great. So I was like, oh, I have, I'm, I'm going to have to tweet at um, Seen on Radio <laughs> about it to let them know yeah. that there might be some more universal understanding that there are, again, a no-duh event Mm -hmm. where it's like of course we're different so maybe there should be different guidelines (laughs) yeah i've i've really enjoyed that series and i actually have been listening to it since i started listening to podcasts it's from the duke's center for documentary studies and a lot of the earlier episodes are standalone episodes from students who have gone through the various programs there Hmm. and there's one in particular that I remember so much, and I love this person so much. I'm in her, I'm totally in her fan club. It's from Stacia Brown. Okay. It's the episode is called Prince and Philando and Futures Untold. And she writes poetry and she's been on some other podcasts. She has her own podcast also called Hope Chest, where okay. she writes poetic letters to her young daughter. Oh. And I basically cry almost every time they're really really nice it's published sporadically but nice segue this is this is again this is how podcast brunch club goes you're like oh i'm thinking about this one and then i thought about that one but the prince and philando and futures untold came out around the time a little bit a little bit after the shooting of philando castile in saint paul minnesota which i followed very closely Mm -hmm. and after Prince's death. That was all around the same time, I believe. So it was kind of a, she was just reflecting on that. It was just a really lovely story mm-hmm. about what's coming in the future. And the, the subtitle on it is How to Grieve When the Deaths Come So Quickly. How as an African-American mother to protect your child's innocence and hope. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Yeah. So the whole back catalog of Seen on Radio is very, very good and eclectic. It's all kinds of different stuff. So mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really cool that there's students that are producing this stuff too. So really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us this month. We will definitely be coming to your feed soon with more interviews with the creators of the shows on the PBC playlists. And of course, you can get in touch with us anytime through either the Audible Feast or the Podcast Brunch Club websites. Happy listening. Hey everyone, this is Steve. I'm the leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club, and I'm here with some info about everyone who makes this show possible. Most importantly, please rate and review the Podcast Brunch Club podcast on your podcast player of choice. Helps us out a lot. The music you heard today is downloaded from Free Music Archive, and this episode featured music from a longtime contributor to the Creative Commons community, Poddington Bear, with their song Elephant Walk. The ad music is from Mazel Ghana, with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by the amazing bionic woman, Adela. Adela's co-host on the podcast is Sarah Da Silva, the leader of the Houston chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club and founder of Audible Feast. 
Audio editing is done by me, Steven Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening!